Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, good evening. How y'all doing? How are you? How's it going? You know, it's funny. I asked someone who I hadn't seen in a few months that question uh, a couple of days ago, and they gave me this kind of really awkward response, like, mm, do you want to like, really know, or do you want me to just, are you just being polite? I said, no, I really want to know. And she began to tell me about how it's been a really tough season. But it's, isn't it interesting how even just the, the question, how are you doing, can be kind of a loaded question nowadays, right? How, how, like, how deep do you really want to go? And in fact, um, different researchers are kind of looking at this period as specifically anxiety surrounding uh, this time of the pandemic. And, and they're seeing the, the results really show that a lot of us are, are wearing the weight of this. One uh, professor of sociology, Susan Stewart at Iowa State University, she conducted a study and found that two-thirds of the female participants reported that their drinking has increased during, since the pandemic has started. And these changes included both binge drinking, drinking more often each day, and drinking earlier in the day. Times are hard. And if it was just dealing with, you know, just kind of that one dynamic, that would be enough. But then there's another front that folks are dealing with as well. Another researcher named William Smith coined the term racial battle fatigue. And he defines it as the cumulative result of a natural race-related stress response to distressing mental and emotional conditions. These conditions emerge from constantly facing racially dismissive, demeaning, insensitive, and or hostile environments and individuals. How are you doing? For many of us, these are troubling times. You know, we've been in this mode for over a year. uh, And as we've talked, even as pastors, we we hear about just the fatigue. Like there's just a, a vague, you ever notice how like, Monday and Friday don't mean what they used to mean, like just in terms of our level of enthusiasm, right? Like there used to be just a natural, oh, Thursday comes around. Hey, thank God it's Friday. Now it's like, eh, it's another day for many of us in different times. It can be difficult because one day bleeds into the next. So how can we experience a sense of peace in these troubled times? Like how... Where does that come from, a sense of of calm, a sense of everything being okay, a sense of enthusiasm about the days to come? Well, the good news is Jesus addressed his closest followers also who were in the midst of troubling times. I mean, in John chapter 13, we see that he announces to them that one of them is going to betray him. We know that is Judas Iscariot. They don't know that. He ends up, you know, walking out and leaving to, to basically go snitch and get the, you know, the authorities to arrest him at that very moment. 
We know that Jesus has already told them that he's going to be crucified, handed over, executed publicly, that they would be left alone and that they would scatter themselves. They were shook. And he gives them a word to say, don't try to numb your anxiety through just excessive drinking. Or don't try to ignore it by just saying, when someone says, how you're doing? I'm good. He actually gives them the ability and the perspective to overcome it. And I think that is a word that is especially important now, but I just want to try to paint the picture for us real quick. Can I do that? Can, can, can I paint the picture? Thank you. Thank you. So just, just, you know, we're in the upper room. Jesus has just given us these ominous words. And we're all kind of sitting and, and, you know, together, and there's just a heightened sense of anxiety. And in the midst of that, we're gathered around kind of close. We're not talking really loud because we're afraid that the authorities might come in at any moment and arrest us. And in the midst of that, we hear our leader say these words. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Very truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that my Father may, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help. To help you and, and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. See, the, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Anyone who loves me and will, will obey my teaching, my father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Can you see the sense of calm that Jesus is trying to invoke and instill in these followers in the midst of these troubling times? He says some things that we're going to jump into and get into, but he acknowledges that their hearts are anxious. He acknowledges the fact that there are even harder times that are going to be coming. 
I mean, as we just said, he, he already has announced that he's going to be betrayed, arrested, that they're going to be scattered. But in the midst of that, even in the midst of leaving them, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And on the surface, that might sound like, uh, how? You just explained to us that there's a lot that our hearts should be troubled over. How is that possible? And the key component that we see is he says in verse 16, and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. This is the Lord's word to us. Now, the Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood person in the Trinity, hands down. It's ironic, even sometimes he can be forgotten in the church. I've, he's the only one in which I hear that he usually, oftentimes is even referred to as an it, and not a person, as he is. And part of the reason for that is because there's usually an, two, one of two extremes that believers of all ages typically go into when we start talking about the Holy Spirit. One extreme is to only talk about the Holy Spirit and to be so caught up and fascinated with his gifts and abilities and the supernatural and the super spiritual that that's all that matters and that's all that captivates people's attention. And so some people see that extreme and then they go to the other extreme and that's to almost act like he doesn't exist. But the reality is when we start to understand the Holy Spirit's role, which Jesus has unpacked here, we see that part of the other reason is a little bit more subtle. You see, the Father initiates the plan of God, of salvation. Jesus executes that plan and becomes the, the God-man, the person God with us. And the Holy Spirit is the one who brings the revelation of that plan to us and the insight and the inspiration to understand his word and to grow closer together. But in part of that process, what that means is he is definitively not bringing attention to himself, but to Jesus. In other words, when you see someone that has the spotlight, you don't typically think about the spotlight. You think about the person that the light is shining on and the Holy Spirit is that spotlight. The Holy Spirit is described in the Greek in this chapter as the paraclete. Somebody say paraclete. Paraclete, not parakeet. Paraclete. It's a Greek word that uh, is sometimes, depending on which translation of the Bible that you're reading, is translated helper, uh, comforter, counselor, or advocate. And the reason why there's such a range of, of differences in terms of how the interpreters interpret this word is because there really isn't a Greek word to describe in one shot the whole fullness of who the Holy Spirit is. So all of those are adequate and accurate, but they just give us different facets of the same jewel or gem. You see, the Holy Spirit plays a combination of a personal, supernatural, intercessory, and legal functions in the name paraclete. So we, the best we can do is to come up with word pictures and, and illustrations and images, and, and all of them are going to be inadequate. So it's not that one completely does it, but they, they kind of help us get there a little bit. So I'm, I'm going to try to help us get there. Because I think one scenario recently helped me get the sense and the dimensions of this aspect of the Holy Spirit. Y'all mind if I teach here today, right? 
See, this is a two-part process. Um, you know, we're going to be going into more of the practical stuff next week, but we need to lay a foundation about who the Holy Spirit is so that we can even understand how to do the practical stuff. Is that all right? Well, I hope it's all right because I'm going to do it anyway, but I just want to get your, you know, to make sure we're on the same page. But I, think, I thought about recently this person named Maya Moore when I thought about this story, and the story of Maya Moore and Jonathan Irons. For those that don't know, Maya Moore, she, I mean, could compare, basically be called the GOAT of our time, greatest of all time. She's two-time college champion at UConn, four-time NBA champion, six-time WNBA All-Star, Olympic gold medalist, and I haven't even gone into the, the championship she's won overseas. She has won more games than any player in college basketball history. Notice I didn't say any woman, any player. She was part of the UConn team that won 90 straight games. Bad. And in the prime of her career a couple years ago, she shocked the world by deciding to put on pause her career right in her prime, in the midst of it. They had just won a championship because she wanted to commit herself full-time to helping exonerate this man named Jonathan Irons, who she had seen his story, had read, had met him on multiple occasions. He had been arrested at the age of 16 um, and sentenced to 50 years for assault and burglary. Nobody died. 50 years at the age of 16. There was no evidence he denied ever being the person that was responsible. And as she looked at the case, realized that this was a gross injustice. But she didn't just wear a t-shirt. She didn't just tweet about it. She didn't just, you know, make a statement. She actually put her career on pause at the height of it in order to advocate for this man. Jonathan would, would, would later say while he was still in prison, she is a lifesaver who gives me hope. You see, he thought that everybody had forgotten about him. Can you imagine at the age of 16 being told basically your entire life that you ever lived will be in prison for something you didn't do? Not only did they able, were they able to celebrate him being exonerated and released just a few months ago, but then on top of that, this unique thing that happened where she was sensing this call of God. When in any interview, people say, how are you doing this? Why are you doing this? She was like, God has called me to this. The Holy Spirit led me to this. You see, the word paraclete, para in the Greek is alongside of, klate is from kletos, which means to uh, call. So it means to come alongside and call, to, to come alongside and help and aid someone. And she is a great picture of that process. Then they ended up getting married. Amazing story. <laughs> wow. And so you can see why I can see this as a picture of, of how the Holy Spirit works, right? Like, but the only difference is in the story, we actually deserve to be in prison forever. <laughs> We're guilty. <laughs> and instead, our defense is that Jesus died on the cross and took the punishment and the blame that we deserve. And so as a result of that, the Spirit comes in and applies that work and now tells us that we have a new identity and a new nature and a new name. That we're no longer considered just guilty, but we are innocent by the blood of Christ. You see, 
the reason why Jesus, if you notice in that verse, he says another advocate is because he is the advocate that appears before the father to say, yes, they're guilty, but I have taken their, sh- their guilt. I have taken their shame, put it on me. They're now innocent. And that work happens externally. But the Holy Spirit is the one who applies that work in our hearts. So he's another advocate. Christ is our advocate on the outside. The Holy Spirit is our advocate on the inside. Now, you have to understand what Jesus is talking about represents a radical moment in history. You see, in the Old Testament, it didn't work this way. Although we do see glimpses of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. In fact, you don't have to go much further than the second verse of the Bible when it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth. But in terms of how we interacted with people, it was often symbolized by the anointing oil. So that someone like we see Samuel uh, in 1 Samuel anoint with oil Saul as king. And that oil represented God's presence over him. But the difference was that it was not something that one could depend on to be forever. So when Saul started wilding out and he started rebelling against God, we see in 1 Samuel 12, 14, it says, now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. You can lose the presence of the spirit in your life completely in the Old Testament time. It was his presence was temporary and it was conditional. So it was different and it wasn't on everybody. It was just on certain people, the presence of the spirit. And that's why Jesus could say one of the most shocking statements he ever uttered in John 16, verse seven. He says in it, but very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is mind blowing. Jesus is actually saying in this verse, y'all, I know you're going to miss me. I know you saw some incredible things. I know we've established a bond and you see me and you understand my identity is God in the flesh. But I'm telling you something. It's better that I leave you. How in the world could it be better that to not have Jesus around physically than to have him around? That's like that's like the Toon Squad being better off without Michael Jordan or LeBron James, right? Like how you gonna lose like the person that's the only real winner in this whole situation and be better off? But that's exactly what, what Jesus is saying here. And it reminds me of another movie that kind of painted this picture in a different way. Now, this might become a little bit divisive in here and some people, you know, but there's this movie called Star Wars, right? Now, the original series is the iconic moment in history that we will never go back to, but they have come out with some new ones after that most recently. And in it, the same thing happens in both the original series with Obi-Wan Kenobi and then with Luke. Bear with me if you're not a sci-fi person. I'm going somewhere with this. So essentially what happens is at one of the points in the movie, and it's been like, what, five years? So spoiler alert, but come on. (laughs) So Luke uh, dies. And at this point, Rey, who's kind of been this person that he was looking at as the next Jedi, Uh, she fails in her quest. She allows her anger, her allows her, 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 her flesh to kind of take over. And so she decides to quit. 
She throws her lifesaver in the fire, but in the midst of it, the, the spiritual form of Luke shows up, grabs it, and then he has, he has a sit down and talks to her. She says, I did everything that I was trained not to do. I'm not worthy of this process. I'm not worthy of this title. And, and Luke is able to comfort her and appear at a moment's notice because he's no longer submitted to and limited to his physical form. He can go wherever he needs to at any moment's notice. And in the same way, the reason why Jesus can say it's better for you that I go than to stay because now his ministry is no longer localized, but the Holy Spirit's ministry is globalized. You see that? Like before, if, if, if someone wanted to really get in touch with the power of Jesus, that he had to be physically present and around. And now he's saying that now that I go away and the spirit comes into you, I can now multiply exponentially my presence and my power so that I can be heard at all times, reached to at all times, connected to at all times. It's better for you that I go than I stay. Verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. Without the presence of the Holy Spirit, we're spiritual orphans. An orphan is someone who doesn't have family, don't have parents, oftentimes very vulnerable. In fact, they're one of, between orphans, widows, and foreigners, they were, and the poor, one of the, the, the most vulnerable people in that society. And what Jesus is saying here when he says, I will not leave you as orphans, which means that I won't leave you in a state of vulnerability or isolation. That you see, he would tell, tell us in Romans that you have been adopted into my family. Now you have God as your father. You have me as your big brother. And guess what? You have a whole family of other people who are now a part of your process. You are not alone. You are with a family. You are no longer an orphan. That's good news. That's where the peace can come. See, peace is not about the absence of a storm, but it's practicing the presence of God in the midst of the storm. Let me say that again. Peace is not the absence of the storm, but it's practicing the presence of God in the midst of the storm. It's peace is it's practicing that sense of, of, of waiting, uh, that sense of, of sometimes not hearing, but understanding that the presence of God brings the peace of God in any and every situation. And that presence of God is directly related to the Holy Spirit. So that's why he's saying, I will not leave you as orphans. I am there with you, even if you don't feel me. That doesn't mean that I've left you. Verse 12. So I want you to make sure you get this before I move on. The presence of God brings the peace of God, and that presence of God is found in the Holy Spirit. Okay, verse 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Now, if, the, if what we just read didn't blow your mind, that it was better for Jesus to not be there, then this one would certainly do it. Greater things? Wait, hold on, hold on. Let me just do the replay, right? Like, Jesus, you turned two fish and a five loaves into a meal that fed 5,000 people. Greater things? Jesus, you taught the Sermon on the Mount. Like, we still playing your greatest hits every day. The Golden Rule, ever heard that one? Greater things? 
Okay, there's this dude named Lazarus. You actually rose from the dead. Greater than how sway? Greater? Now, it's helpful to understand that what he's talking about primarily here is not in its significance, but in its scope. Let me replay that. Give you an example. Uh, Jesus, this, this account is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where he went up to the Mount of Transfiguration, where this mountain where they, uh, the disciples saw him in his glorious presence, radiant. He's having a conversation with Moses and Elijah about his plan. And it's this amazing moment. And then they come down from the mountain and there's a debate and an argument happening between the disciples, the rest of the disciples who weren't up there and these other people because they weren't able to heal this person who was sick, this young boy. And they weren't able to heal because the spirit of God was with Jesus on the top of the mountain, not with the disciples. They didn't have the full access to what they were going. They didn't know how to access it. They weren't connected in that same way. The spirit's power was localized. But now that's different. Now that's changed. You see, because Jesus is saying that the Spirit is going to come and give you the same power that rose me from the dead, which we see in Acts chapter 1. Y'all, this is history. Like, I'm, this isn't just theology, this is history. Let's go to Acts chapter 1, verse 4. It says, Jesus is talking now. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the, the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. We just heard him speak about it in John. This is now in Acts. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the world. Somebody say power. He says you will receive power, but first you got to wait. Y'all don't have what it takes right now. You don't have the, the advocate with you in his fullness because I'm still with you. So then what happens later on, right after Jesus says this in Acts chapter 1, he goes up to the Father. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the Spirit fills the disciples. They began to speak in other languages so that all the people of the world who were gathered for this feast could hear them in their own languages. And from that day starts the church era, which breaks out into a moment where no longer is the spirit localized, no longer is the spirit temporary, but now he is the present permanent posture and presence of God in all of the believers in the church age. Let the church say amen. The spirit brings power and that power brings peace. I mean, check it out. Peter, let's just use one example. We just saw a few weeks ago, he was warming himself by a fire while Jesus was arrested, and a little servant girl says, hey, aren't you with him? And he's like, nah, I don't know what you're talking about. He can't even acknowledge Jesus to the most defenseless person because he's afraid. Now the Spirit comes on him in Acts chapter 2, and he says, hey, y'all, everybody, some of y'all here are guilty of crucifying the Messiah. But... God has given you grace through his spirit. If you believe and repent right now, you can be saved. The same guy. And 3,000 people come to Christ. What was the difference? The Holy Spirit's power. Well, how do we access this power? I'm glad you asked. Verse 13 and 14. Jesus says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, another thing we have to clear up. 
<laughs> Raise your hand if you ever prayed and ended a prayer in Jesus' name. Raise your hand if that's ever been you. Yeah, we, we, we've all done it. That's fine and good. But what can be confusing for us is that we think that what he means by that is just ending the prayer in Jesus' name. But that's not what he's talking about here when he says, when you pray in my name. What he's talking about is in, in the Greek, this term name also means reputation or likeness. When you pray in the manner of Jesus, according to my will, according to my purposes, according to my agenda, then you will unlock and access the power that I have in the presence that I have. So what he's saying is that when you pray according to my command, my, my vision for the world, that's what unlocks. You can't just be praying everything in Jesus' name. Give me tacos for life in Jesus' name. <laughs> that ain't how it works. But because Jesus Christ is glorified and the Holy Spirit dwells in us, Jesus can hear all of our prayers at once. Part of what he means that you can now pray in my name is the fact that everyone can have access to him at the same time because he has been glorified and sit at the right hand of the throne of God. And so he can therefore advocate for us, remember another advocate, right there before the throne of grace. Amazing. And now Hebrews tells us we can come boldly to the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we have an advocate who hears us. This is history. In other words, it's like, you know, the difference between you're trying to get somebody like your favorite celebrity's attention, maybe online, you want to retweet them or you give them a message. But imagine if they were following you and you were following them and then you could slide right in the DMs. Well, we have access to God's direct message. We have access to God DM right there. It doesn't matter that he has 5 billion people following him or whatever, that he can specifically see the notification when we pray, connect to us and respond in the moment. That's what we have when we have access to prayer. Uh, many of us are going through in our growth groups at the church, the seven realities of experiencing God. And this is how Henry and Richard Blackaby put it. Prayer is designed to adjust you to God's will, not to adjust God to your will. Let me say that again. Prayer is designed to adjust you to God's will, not to adjust God to your will. The prayer enables us to experience God's will and it requires more dependence. And, and, and this is another word that I think is so important in what we struggle with sometimes. That sometimes God's response is silence. Yeah. Oh, if you haven't experienced that before, just walk long enough in the Lord and, and you'll know what I'm talking about where you, you, you pray and then you, you, you think back about these times where everything was so bright and vivid and, and vi vibrant and intimate. And then there's just like, I don't feel anything. I don't sense anything. Is God even listening? And sometimes God will use the silence to speak to you. Think back about the disciples. Jesus has died Saturday between Friday and Sunday. Nothing. They don't know what's going on. They think the whole situation has just collapsed and fell apart. Think about the disciples in Acts chapter 1. He says, okay, wait here for me. He goes up. It's been days, weeks. What are we doing? We're sitting in the room waiting, and then the Spirit comes upon them and moves. But it's in the waiting. It's in the silence that we realize that God is sometimes not just in the big eruptions and the explosions. Sometimes he's in the stillness, and we need to just wait on him. Somebody say wait. Wait. Just wait on the Lord. So persistent prayer to God brings us peace. This prayer 
This presence and this power, lastly, this is the last one, comes with a promise. Jesus replied in verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. The last part of this that Jesus communicates is the promise of God, which brings the peace of God. And sometimes all we can do is hold on to the promise of God. But notice here, thank you, that in this promise, Jesus clarifies something. <laughs> and he says something about the nature of love. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. That's interesting. Let me just stop right there. Don't you see that this radically transforms the way that we oftentimes think about love? Typically, we think of love as what? An emotion, a feeling. But we somehow know that this isn't adequate of describing the full nature. I've been married. We're about to celebrate 20 years in July. Thank you. If you want a little hint or a clue about how one way we've been able to last that long, I'm going to tell you it's because I understand love is not an emotion. It's a decision. Love is not an emotion. Love is a decision. You see, you can't keep telling somebody, you know, a boo or somebody or a friend or whatever, I love you, but I'm going to keep disrespecting you and calling you out your name. I love you, but I'm going to keep cheating on you. I love you, but, you know, I might abuse you. That, that's not, we, we, we instinctively know that those words are become empty if your actions don't show it. Why do we think that we can say, I love you, Jesus, and continue to live completely how he doesn't want us to live? Willfully, decisively, continuously. In any other relationship, we go, no, that's not real love. I love how Tony Braxton put it. Love should have brought you home last night. There's deep theology in that statement. It says, you can't just give me empty words and say that you love me. You got to actually prove it and show it by what you decide to do sacrificially in your actions. Do you love Jesus? If you love me, show it. That's brownstone. We we, we, some, we have 90s babies in the house, but that's all right. We're going to continue. <laughs> prove it. And it also reveals what is the greatest hindrance to this spiritual growth, our greatest hindrance to experiencing this peace and this presence, and that is that sin is the greatest hindrance. Sin, our, our rejection of God, our, our disobedience to, to him begins to dim out the presence. It begins to erode the power and, and allows us to have this sense where we just get decreased and away from the promise of the Spirit. Verse 25 and 26, he says, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said. Oh man, this is good news. In this context, the paraclete, verse 26 means that the Spirit will give wisdom in the hour of testing before the court of the world. 
You see, what he's saying here is that he will teach you all things. And he's saying, don't worry about what to say when they bring you in front of the course and they challenge you about your faith in me or they ridicule you or they dis dismiss you or they in relationship with you because of your passion with me. He's saying, don't sweat it. Don't worry about it because the spirit will remind you. You know how we say real recognize real? Romans 8 says the spirit recognizes the spirit. And when we get in patience and intimacy with God, then we recognize who we are and whose we are. That this world ain't all that there is. That there's more behind the curtain. See, we need to stay connected to the Holy Spirit. And he uses that description holy because, you know, he's not the only spirit that's around. <laughs> there are evil spirits that exist as well that will torment and, and, and distort and deceive. The promise is key because Jesus recognizes that after he has departed, the disciples would have to confront a hostile world. The promise begins to be fulfilled. We see in the, in the rest of John, in, specifically in verse 19 and 21 of uh, chapter 20, after the resurrection, Jesus appears to them. And the first thing he says, peace be with you. That wasn't just a greeting. That was a reminder and of a promise. I love how Tony Evans put it. The issue for the believer is not how much of the spirit we have, but how much the spirit has us. Sometimes we say, and it's a little bit of a misnomer, Lord, I want more of you. I want more of you. In reality, he's given us access to all of who he is. The question is, does he have more of us? Does he have more of us? How does he get more of us? By living a submitted life, by living a life that says, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait for your power. I'm going to believe in your presence. I'm going to talk to you to align my will to your will. That's how he gets more of us. And when he gets more of us, that's when we start to move in this way. That's when we start to experience God in deeper and deeper ways. But my sisters and my brothers, you have to understand the spirit can only remind you of what you have already put in your mind. The word remind is mind again, right? So you have to at least have had the time and intimacy to put things in your mind of God so that he can bring it back to your remembrance. This is why he says, if you love me, you'll obey my teaching. Well, how do I know what's in his teaching? I have to actually study his word. The Holy Spirit brings us peace, power, presence, and the promises of God. All this leads to why Jesus could say, don't let your hearts be troubled. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not leave you as the world, I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The Spirit's presence is not just theoretical or theological, but it's very practical for me. In 2019, we celebrated my grandmom's 100th birthday. And, I, and I'm done, y'all. Y'all can come up. I'm, I'm wrapping up here. Uh, I was very close with my grandmom. Outside of my mom, she was the closest person uh, to me and my family. Uh, she was a caterer growing up, and so she taught us how to cook. And if anybody followed me on IG, you see that, you know, I've kept the family tradition going. And I planned on visiting her a lot more after her 100th birthday, but, you know, COVID and and then I was about to visit another time, and the snow came, and I saw a couple weeks ago, March 18th, I uh, gave her a call in the morning because it had been a while since I had last spoken to her, and left a voicemail, you know, love you, 
I'll call you back. Two hours later, my mom called me to let me know that she had gone on. And um, that was very hard for me because I just thought back of all the opportunities missed, all the opportunities that I would never have anymore. But because of his presence, God began to give me peace. As I began to pray and he began, the spirit began to remind me of all that we had had, those so many years of 101. She, she was 101 years old when she passed on. And even with that, it was a few, about 20 years ago in her 80s that she was really struggling with this issue of how to be forgiven. She looked back on her life. There were things that she regretted. There were people that had grudges and she could hold a grudge with the best of them. And I remember as we began to talk about the forgiveness of God, she was like, yeah, that's what I, I want to experience more of. And so in her 80s, I've seen this person grow spiritually and, and, and wrestle with scripture. And it was this beautiful picture. So by the end of her life, she was like, I'm ready. I know where I'm going. I'm good. I've lived a full life. And even though it still hurts and, 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 and there's a sense of grief of, of, of what's lost, there's also a sense of peace. And that's how peace in the midst of the storm works. So let me just ask you, are you trying to find peace based on external criteria or the exalted Christ? Because the reality is there's always going to be trouble in this world. But Jesus said, behold, I have overcome the world. The Spirit gives us peace, and it's not based on myself, but it's, he's, it's that peace is based on my Savior. So I just want to encourage you, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're wrestling through in this difficult and tumultuous time in this season, know that you're not alone. You're not alone. God's presence, God's Spirit is with you. And remember, you've been adopted, which means that when you look around the room or when you, as you're online, you have brothers and sisters that are there with you every step of the way. And you have God's presence and his power that is with you every step of the way. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for your gift of the spirit. Who you tell us is with us. Who you tell us will never leave us. And Lord, this has been a time of great struggle for many of us. At times we felt like giving up. At times we felt like that there's no hope. Holy Spirit, pray that you touch that one here who's at the end of their rope. God, would you remind them that they're not orphans. You've not left us as orphans, but you've given us your spirit. You've given us your church. You've given us sound mind. You've given us not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit. Help us to feel and engage your presence and help us to trust you even when we don't feel it. We worship you in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. 
We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.